leading us in the communion. Um, it's just awesome to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, we, you know, before, before we get started, my name's Eli. If any of you guys don't know me, just, just want you to know my name, okay? And because uh, I do see some new faces uh, out there today, I do want to just start today off with a prayer. So if you guys will bow your heads with me, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, God, uh, wherever two, your word says that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are there with them. God, we gathered here today, and we hope, God, we, we, we want you to be here. God, we invite you here. God, I pray that uh, the spirit that powerfully works within each one of us will make itself known, God. It will say, it will... It will help uh, the hearers to hear exactly what they need to hear and the speaker to say exactly what they should say, God, and, and nothing else and, and nothing more, just uh, your word, God. So just pray. Uh, we, we ask, God, uh, we, need, uh, we need more faith to believe uh, that you truly are here with us and that you're powerfully working. God, open our eyes this morning to that reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys. Um, so we are going to start delving into the Gospels. Okay, we spent all of last year in the Old Testament with the theme of knowing God, and to, to what we kind of explored was that to know God is it's so much more than just this intellectual acknowledgement that God exists or. You it's, it's not like a factual thing, like on January 10th, 1982, this happened. Like I, that, that, right? A lot of times we think of knowledge and know in that sense, but the sense that we know God in is, is much different. It's, the word in Hebrew is yada, and it means, well, it means a lot of things, but I'd say the best way to kind of summarize it is that it's this idea of attaching ourselves to God, identifying ourselves with God. And it's actually, uh, you know, when the Bible talks about knowing God, right, yada, it's the same word in the text, in the Hebrew text, when the Bible says things like, and the man Adam knew his wife Eve, and they bore a son, yada. And so that's the type, uh, that's the type of, intimacy that, we're, that we have in our relationship with God when we know him. It's, it's as close as a spousal relationship. Um, and obviously, I, I don't know, it's, there's, it doesn't mean that there's something sexual about God just because, you know, those things are, are in common. That, that's, that's, so that's just the way that, one of the ways that we experience human intimacy. And one of the ways that we experience it in its, like, its greatest form. So the, all that is, is so God's intimacy is way above that. And so it's, that's like the best, right? That's the best way we can relate to this, this intimacy, this knowing of God that he wants us to have, the relationship that he wants to have with us, okay? And I think really this is a perfect transition into this year's theme because everything in the Old Testament just points it's, it's always, man, everything in the Bible, it's just, it, it's so pointing to Jesus, okay, and, and what he did in his, in his work. So if you could pull up the first verse, Ellen, I, I think this, this scripture really uh, 
was going to help us move into this, our new theme, which is strong in Christ uh, for this year. So this is in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Okay, so God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. We, we just read about, we just read the words of so many of the prophets and in other ways. Okay, to all the ways that God speaks in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he, whom he appointed heir of all things. So we're talking about the son of God, and he is the heir of all things, meaning everything in existence to the one end of the universe to the other, Jesus, the Son, is going to inherit that. It's pretty cool. And through whom also he made the universe. So Jesus was a part of the making of the universe. It says that in verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus literally emanates, has the aura of, of God's glory. And he's the, there's nothing closer. It's the exact representation of his being. If we want to know who God is, there's nothing closer that we can get a view into God's heart than the life of Jesus. Amen. He sustains all things by his powerful word. We have to Man, the Word is what created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And now God's Word, we have God's Word in paper form, and we have the teachings of Jesus. We need to, we need to pay attention. These are extremely powerful and important words. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus... He provided purification for sins. He provided a way for mankind to not have to face the penalty of sin. And, you know, and then he just sat down. He just got, it, it symbolized that his work was finished. So as some of you today, you know, there's football on this afternoon. You'll probably sit down back in the, in the lazy boy and like, oh, man, it's Sunday. The work's done for the week. Just going to relax. But it's kind of like that, except for... Jesus provided purification for sin. So it's not really like that. Just a little. Okay, and so from this scripture, we get to know God even more in the life of Christ than we ever have before. And by that, by that, that knowing, not just that knowledge, but that, that intimacy, that attachment, that identification, we can be strengthened in Christ. And the thing that I, that I want you guys to come away with today uh, is that Jesus, he transcends, exceeds, and eclipses any previous notion of what you might have thought him to be. We're just going to just touch on that today because we, I don't have this whole year we're going we're gonna to dive into what, what, how exactly does Jesus do this? How does he continually... Keep blowing us away more and more. So, but we're just going to talk about the fact that he is. And that's actually what Matthew is trying to do in the first chapter of his gospel, which we'll be reading. 
Okay, if you thought that Jesus was an incredible, influential prophet and teacher, you'd be right. But he is more than that. He is, as Hebrews puts it, the, well, just about, he made the universe. He's the king of the universe. Okay, if you thought that Jesus is loving and compassionate and strong in character, you, you've got it all wrong. He is the dictionary definition of love and compassion. He is the embodiment of strong character and compassion. And if you thought, is one of my favorite movies, is one of my favorite stories, is The Lord of the Rings. Right? Can I get an amen? amen. The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, Frodo and Samwise, they're, they have to take the ring of power to the center of Mount Doom, and they have a treacherous journey. And if you thought that that journey was treacherous, let me invite you to a, a Jesus' journey to the place of the skull also known as the Hill of Calvary. So my request of you today is to prepare your hearts and your minds to open up to who Jesus really is. And, and open up, make as much space in your heart and mind as you possibly can, because he will fill it, and then some. So like I said, I'm going to be preaching on the Gospel of Matthew all year. Uh, I will be dealing with Matthew. Joel's going to be dealing with Luke. And Grayson is going to be preaching out of John. Okay, So I'm going to be in Matthew all year. And uh, I, I do want to share with you guys quickly, like one of the reasons, like we, we, we had a draft, you know, like, okay, which one do you want, you know? And it actually went really smooth. I was surprised. I thought there might be some, you know. But it went really smoothly, and I wanted to preach out of Matthew. And I just want to share with you guys a little bit about why. And Matthew is a Jew, okay? And, and, kind of, and we can tell contextual clues tell us that Matthew was writing his gospel to, well, mainly to other Jews to try to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the, the prophet that is talked about in the Old Testament that would establish a new order. That's, that's what he's trying to do. That's his main goal, his main audience. He has love and care for his fellow Jew. Okay? And, you know, so I actually, I really enjoyed going through the Old Testament because I, I, I mean, it's not like, how do I say this? I mean, the whole Bible is awesome, and, but I just have a special affinity, I guess, for like the Old, the old Testament stuff. And in uh, Matthew, he's really entrenched in that because he's Jewish and he, his, word, his gospel is basically, it's soaked in the words of the Torah and the prophets. And Matthew uses the phrase to fulfill what the prophecy has said 16 times in his gospel, which is more than all the others, which he's referring back to the Old Testament. Um, a commentator, a Bible commentator named Overman, I was reading this this week, he said that early rabbinic Judaism and Matthaean Christianity are fraternal twins. So essentially what that means, early rabbinic Judaism is the 
is essentially what Judaism looked at around the time, what it looked like at the time of Christ. Okay? So Judaism was, had evolved in different degrees over the course of time, and what it looked like around the time of Christ is a lot. So Matthew's theology about Christ that he shares in his gospel is it is so intertwined with Judean thought and th their theology that he uses the term, they're like fraternal twins. I find that really fascinating. One other thing we'll notice about Matthew's gospel is that he, sh he has a little bit different attitude towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, so we know, or I guess we don't, if you've read the gospels or have a familiarity with them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, they absolutely get wrecked by Jesus. Like he rebukes them again and again and, and just points out their hypocrisy. And uh, it, it, that happens in Matthew as well, um, but there's just, it's just a little different. The language is a little bit, it's almost a little bit more like respect or a little bit more reverence towards the law and the Pharisees. So like they get roasted, but then Matthew tries to like kind of like save them a little bit. Like, oh, but you know, they have this going for them kind of a thing, okay? And the, the cool thing about Matthew as well is that it is uh, the teaching gospel because we know that Matthew and Luke uh, used Mark as a source for their Gospels, okay? And, they all, and, the, and the three of them used a common source, right? And so Mark was, was the first one that was written. And then what, what Matthew, Mark was all about what Jesus did. Like, I mean, that, you, you read Mark, and it's like, Jesus did this, and then he did that, and then he did this. And... And then so what Matthew does is uh, he builds on Mark's gospel and he compiles all of the teachings and the sayings of Jesus. And he adds them uh, and, and forms the gospel of Matthew. So, and that's really what makes Matthew different from Mark. And then what makes Luke quite a bit different as well is that Luke, uh, he was a Gentile and his main mission of his gospel was to convert his fellow, his Gentile, non-Jew, Okay. And then John really focuses on the last few days. I mean, most of his gospel is just in the last few days of Jesus' ministry. And so that's some of the differences. And so there are four things that I want to look at today in Matthew chapter 1 that point to Matthew's thesis is that Jesus is more. He's going to shatter all of our assumptions about who this Messiah is is going to be. So if you could pull up Matthew 1 on the screen. And let's go ahead and read. So this is, this is the genealogy of Jesus. The Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. We're going to keep going here. A lot of names. Nishan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. 
Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeroam. Je I don't know if that, that one's right. Je Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah Je and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. We're almost there, guys. <laughs> After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheel, I don't know, Sheelatel, I'll just, I'll just go with that. Sheelatel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azel. Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliad. Eliad, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Probably not how you say that. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Okay. All right. Wow. I didn't expect that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, let's, so we're done with the names, but we got just a little bit left in Matthew 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay. All right, I need a drink of water. <clears throat> okay, so we're, we're about to talk about the greatest man in the history of the world, and let's just start off with a really long list of names. That actually makes perfect sense if you're a Jew. That's how they start all the stories of all the great men in the Bible, is their lineage. And I want us to point out, if you could go back to the beginning, Alan, I want to point out a couple things about this genealogy, okay? Because it's actually, it's just incredible that God's word is, always has a message for us, even when sometimes it feels like maybe it doesn't, okay? The word of God is living and active. So notice that this genealogy is in order except for the very first line. It says that Jesus... The Messiah is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then it goes, Abraham forward. Okay, Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. So what Matthew is doing right off the bat is he's immediately demonstrating the inseparability of Jesus from Israel's history and the mission to the Gentiles, which we'll talk about in a second, because that's in here as well. So, 
Jesus is the son of Abraham and David. Abraham and David are two of just the greatest heroes of the Bible, two of the most highly looked upon Jews in Judaism. Abraham is known as the father of the faith. He is the first, not the first, but he, I guess he's kind of the most famous, incredible example of faith in the Old Testament. He leaves his homeland uh, by the call of God. He even goes so far as to be right on the cusp of sacrificing his own son at God's command. And then God, his angel, stops him and provides a ram and in, in his son's place. And it's amazing because Abraham, when his son Isaac is walking with him, like, hey, Dad, I know we're going to make a sacrifice. Like, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide the lamb. And that's, of course, pointing to the lamb that God would provide in Jesus many, many, many years later. You know, the promise to Abraham was that he would be a father of many nations. He'd be a father of many nations. All the families of the earth would be blessed because of him. That's in Genesis 12. And we see uh, this promise also being fulfilled in the life of Christ. David. David is the ideal king in, uh, in Israel, for the Israelites. He's the ideal king. Under King David, they had, they had great prosperity. They had military success, economic success. But the one thing about David that sets him apart from all the rest is that he was a man after God's own heart. So that's why he was... He was just the complete package. Because some of these other kings, I mean, they had great prosperity and success too, but they, did not, they were not after God's heart. And so, and also too, the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is promised to come from the line of David, from the lineage of David. So right here, Matthew is saying, look, Jesus is in the lineage of David. He is the Messiah. That's what he's trying to prove right off the bat. Okay, so that, that's huge for, for Abraham and Dave, for Jesus to be uh, a part from their lineage. Because that, that, if he wasn't, well, then we might have a problem. Okay, so Matthew is pointing that out. Then what we have, too, also in this uh, genealogy is really it's the, the history of it, like a very brief summary of the history of Israel. Because it says, it starts at the time of Abraham. And then it talks about the Babylonian exile in the middle of it, and then it goes down to the, to the time of Jesus. So essentially, I mean, that's, that's the Old Testament history, and a very, very uh, short way to put it is that Israel, they, they, they kind of blossomed. I mean, Abraham was this just amazing man. They blossomed. They, they had this goal, this mission, this, that they were going to be a light to all the nations. And then it didn't really go that way, and then they ended up so, it got so bad that they were conquered and they were deported to Babylon, okay? And that, and that was a huge moment in Israel's history because things, things just, they completely fell apart. And, but then, right, but all, but you notice that everything in the Old Testament, right, even in this genealogy is pointing to Jesus, 
right? It's all leading up to the, the, to the revelation, the revealing of Jesus, the Messiah. And this, this three stages, so to speak, of, of Israel, where it's going good, it's going really bad, and then Jesus comes, right? These three stages are, not only are they the history of Israel, but I think they're the history of every individual who's walked on this earth. Okay, it starts off really good. Like, man, I'm, I'm going to be a dad soon, and like little children now are just fascinating to me, and they're so cool. They're so full of potential. They are like, it's just like, man, they're innocent. Like, what are I would just I'm just wonder what they're going to do. Like, Rowan, the the twins, Marley, Marin, Rowan, our house yesterday. And it's just like. Man, what are you going to do when you grow up, bro? Like, I, I'm just, I'm so hopeful for you, like, to do something amazing, to have an awesome relationship with God, to be a man of God. Right? And so, that, that's, that's, how, that's how it started for Israel, too. It's like, oh, man, we just promise we're going we're gonna to do this. And then, there's the exile. And usually, this typically happens right about when... Uh, these precious young children become teenagers. <laughs> and your thoughts go from, oh, you, you, you're, you're just amazing. So what are you thinking? <laughs> oh, what are you doing? It's painful. <laughs> right? But there's still hope. There's still hope. Still have great hope for our teenagers. Right, and that hope, right, that, that after the exile, the hope looking forward is Jesus. The hope for every young child, for every teenager, for every adult is a relationship, a loving relationship with God Amen. by the work, through the work of Jesus. Amen. You know, this is definitely the story of my life. You know, if I were to, if I, if I could, if I wanted to paint a picture for like, how terrible my life was. Uh, many, I, got, I became a disciple in college. If I wanted to paint a picture of my life before like, meeting Jesus through the Bible, uh, I, just, I have to summarize it. The word, bum. Okay, just bum. I'll tell you a little bit more. Okay. Like, I was, so, I was a terrible friend. I was so selfish. I mean, I, I just, I remember my buddies calling me and they, and they would want help with something. Just like, yeah, I would just make something up. Like, nah, I'm busy, you know, because I just wanted to do whatever I was. Probably, I was probably watching TV. Like, no, I can't, I'm busy watching TV. I was a terrible friend. I was a terrible, I had a girlfriend. I was terrible to her. I... I remember just like literally I was like I didn't take her out on dates and was like I don't I don't have any money but really it's because I was just spending all my money on me. I was like sorry there's none left over for you. Wow that's great. Um, man. And I spent all of my time every moment right that I could like I had this job too where I literally had to do nothing and uh, like I swear to, I swear to you I did nothing. I literally would watch like shows and stuff on the internet, and I'd get paid to do it. It was like this campus job. So I, was, so I would spend all my time at work entertaining myself, and then I'd leave work, 
I go to a few classes, not really paying attention, kind of be more focused on entertaining myself. And then I would leave work and class and go entertain myself some more. And I always was left feeling like, man, why don't I just have more time? And why am I just so empty? Like, why don't I, I wish I could just have more. That's how I was left feeling. And now, <clears throat> I definitely don't claim to be some, like, sort of impressive individual or something now. But... I've left that life far behind. And, you know, you don't, you know, I think some people think that you don't need the grace of God not to be a bum. And I don't think that's true. Because something, you don't have to acknowledge something for it to be there. Have you said, geez, gravity, thank you today for keeping me on the earth's surface. Jeez, uh, man, this, the oxygen in this room is just, just keeping me alive. Thank you. You don't have to acknowledge something for it to be there. And everything that we have in this room right now, we have, this room is full of God's grace. Man, so many of your lives have been changed by God's grace. God gave us the, the intellect to build a building and to put a working heater in it so that we could live in this Wisconsin climate. Like, because we can't, we can try to take credit for it, but we really can't. God gave us the potential, the capabilities, the skills to, to do all the things that man tries to take credit for. We've got hot coffee in the back, guys. Grace of God is in this room. Okay, guys, uh, thirdly, so I don't think I said, secondly was that there's, there's three stages in this genealogy, the three stages of man. Thirdly is that this, what Matthew wants to point out, is that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. That this birth of Jesus, this story of Jesus, is of the Holy Spirit. And so this, this is really important, uh, because Jews especially thought of the Holy Spirit as strongly linked to God's creative power. Because in Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. Right? So God's spirit was, right, was there in Genesis 1, and it was strongly linked to his creative powers. If you could uh, skip ahead uh, to the end of the Matthew, Ellen, to the couple of Psalms, little short verses. Go ahead, one more. So here we have a couple other examples, too, of, of Jewish... What, what did the Jews think about the Holy Spirit? By the word, this is in 33.6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So in the Hebrew, the word breath and the word spirit are the same. Okay, so for by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by, by his spirit, by the breath of his mouth. They're interchangeable. Uh, they're just interchangeable terms. Psalm 104.30, when you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. That psalm is talking about just the living creatures. When you send your spirit, they're created. God's creative power. We can't, we can't, make, any, we can't make anything out of nothing. 
But God can make anything out of nothing. The Spirit was also connected with the idea of recreation in the Old Testament. If you guys know, it's it's pretty incredible, inspiring passage in Ezekiel 37 when God, he takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. It's like a graveyard. And God's Spirit comes upon and, and puts flesh on all these bones and forms an army. And he's doing this to demonstrate what he is going to do in the future of Israel. He's going to take their bones, their, their, just their spiritual deadness, and bring it back to life. The point that Matthew, one of the points that Matthew is trying to make is that Jesus is of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Spirit and its power to recreate. You know, it is the Spirit that is, the Spirit's the only thing that can recreate the human soul when it has lost the life that it ought to have had. When God, right, the Eden, Garden of Eden, the life that, that God designed humans to have, one of, one of love for our fellow man, one of service, one of compassion, one of just all the, you know, family, really, close family. The Spirit of God is, is the only thing. When that, when, and that's just been, well, the family, the idea of family is, is just really changing. It's really, well, it's more maybe disappearing. It's just a better word. And the only thing that can restore that is the recreating power of the Spirit of God. Lastly, guys, on this list, I think Matthew wants to show that this this Messiah, this Jesus, is going to shatter all your assumptions about who you thought the Messiah would be. Because on this list, we have, well, we have women. That actually was was very, extremely uncommon at the time uh, to include women in something like this. And I do, I just want to make a quick, say something quickly about that. Because no women aren't like I guess equally represented uh, in this genealogy to say, but man, if we want to talk about the founder of our religion, Christianity, Christ, and the way he treated women, like oh my, inspiring! Let's go and guys. So this this narrative, so it, you know, it is a reality that in the Bible times, the times of the Bible, that women were. That men, a lot of times, used women as a pedestal for themselves. I mean, that, that's, that, that, that happened, right? But the Bible in no way ever condones like that, that type of relationship between men and women. And Jesus himself shows us that. And also, you know, just off the top of my head, thinking about a, uh, men who did such things... Well, uh, one person that comes to my mind is Solomon and how his relationship with women was all about lust. And what happened to Solomon? Well, everything went downhill. Because God does not tolerate. You guys know what I'm saying. He doesn't tolerate that. Okay. 
There's Gentiles. There's non-Jews. How can the Jewish... I mean, they were all... Guys, there's a reason they're all about genealogy. Because they care about, like, you got to be a pure blood or, you know, whatever the, the term is for that. You know, when you're, like, breeding animals or that sort of thing. Like, you want them to be, like, pure blood, right, of their, uh, their species. And Jesus... In his lineage, I mean, he's born of the Holy Spirit, but his lineage is not pure of blood. Like, what? what? How is the Jewish Messiah not pure Jewish blood? That doesn't make any sense. There's um, a particular person on this list seduced one of their own parents and committed incest with them. How did they get on Jesus' genealogy? Another person on this list was, was unfaithful in their marriage. How did they get on this list? How, how did the perfect Messiah, how can there all be all this nasty sin in his lineage? How could he be the one? Guys, we can't put God in a box. That's essentially what Matthew is trying to get at. No, 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 no. Jesus is not who you want him to be, who you think he is. He's something completely different. He's of the Spirit. He's of the exact representation of God. And the thing that's amazing about Jesus, the thing that's amazing about this genealogy is that, you know, regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, your ethnicity, your former sins. We, in Christ, can dwell together in unity. And you can't find that anywhere. But in Christ. Christ really is, you know, he is like the, the hopes and dreams of, ma- of mankind realized are, are in his life. So guys, just what do you what do you do with this information? What are you supposed to do with Matthew trying to show show his original audience and show us today that Jesus is he's of the spirit. He you you can't put God in a box. He I, I'm forgetting my points. He's the son of Abraham and of David. And he really illustrates this these three stages of our life with this genealogy. What do we do with this? Well, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. I don't, I don't, it's, what I'm asking you guys to do today shouldn't be super hard. Okay? Open your heart and your mind this year to all that Jesus is. Like I, like I said earlier, you've got to open it and you've got to keep pushing, keep pushing the boundaries because he's going to fill it and he's going to surpass it Guys, you want to know you want to know the real Jesus. Guys, I um, so I got to hang out with just I had a short, quick visit with Jesse, the 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 Schrader's little little boy yesterday. I was working, I was actually working on this lesson, and you know Jesse comes up and uh, you know like you know I'm obsessed with little children now, so he's really cool. And uh, but Jesse like he just he crawls around and he just points at stuff. He's like, 
hey, that, that's really cool. Like, take, take me to that, or I'm going to go to that. And we, we need to read the Bible. We need to read the story of Jesus like a child. Like, hey, like, I'm, like look, look for what's cool. See what's awesome. And, and, you know, there's a reason that Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like children. Right? Not that we are, I guess, in, in that aspect. I think he means in that way. In, in, our, in our zeal, in our, in our curiosity about God. He wants us to be like little children. So read, read the Bible, read the story of Jesus this year, like, like you're a newborn, like you're just, you know, it's like, oh, that's new. And that's new. Everything's new. <laughs> Pray. Pray that God would open your heart and your mind to these things. Because it really is, it's the Spirit who reveals the truth about God to mankind. We need to pray for the Spirit to reveal. If you really want to know, pray about it. Pray that God would open your heart and mind. And lastly, don't let some person on the, on the internet, some or, the, or society, or even some minister tell you who Jesus is. Don't let them, you, or, or your previous notions, or your previous assumptions, don't let any of those things tell you who Jesus is. Go meet him yourself. Go find him yourself. Don't just let Moses come down from the mountain with his face glowing, like, wow, Moses, that's really cool. Go up the mountain yourself. Be with God. Know, know who Jesus is, because he will. He will transcend, surpass, eclipse any, any idea that you had, have had about him up to this point, and your life will never be the same. Um, let's go ahead and uh, close out with a prayer, and then after that, have Cole uh, Rajek come on up for announcements and contribution. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, a simple prayer, God, that you open our hearts and minds to who Jesus is. God, and the way that Jesus, the way that he loved, the way that he walked, the way that he related to you, God, we want, we want to be like him. God, and the truth is that we, we just want more of you. We want to know you more. And we want to be closer to you. So God, I pray that if our hearts are hardened, that you would soften them. If our hearts are dull, that you'd quicken them, God. If our hearts are struggling to see through the murkiness and the fogginess that we're, that we're caught up in, God, that you would make a way just pray that you really bless uh, everyone in this room today, God, to, to be able to know you and be strengthened uh, in Christ this year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.